you are interested in working in legal aid areas, it's an invaluable opportunity. As a caseworker, you'll be able to assist with all stages of a client's case. Uh, you'll be able to draft letters before action. You'll actually interact with our clients over the phone. So in that way, it's unique. You'll be there in the heart of the work and building relationships with our clients. Hello everyone and welcome to the Student Lawyer podcast series. Whether you're at school, sixth form, university, thinking about a career in law or exploring law careers, you're in the right place. We are the one-stop shop for student lawyers. If you'd like to join the Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. This episode is sponsored by the University of Law. What really sets the University of Law apart from other universities is its belief that its students should learn in a realistic, professional and contemporary context. They focus exclusively on practice-based training and give students access to their extensive career service and jobs vacancy database as soon as they accept a place with them. Through the University of Law's pro bono program, law students can hone their skills by working on real cases before they graduate. The University of Law offers a range of postgraduate legal training and master's degrees designed by qualified experts to help students advance at any stage of their career. Their courses are employment focused, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. Part-time and online study options are also available on many of their courses to help students work and study at the same time. To find out more about the courses on offer, click the link in the description box of the podcast. Welcome to the Student Lawyer podcast series. My name's Camilla and I'm an LPC student and future trainee solicitor. In today's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Evie Smith, a pupillage offer holder, Inner Temple Triple Scholarship winner and manager of the Intervene Project. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing an important topic, prisoners and access to justice. Evie will be providing insight into the Intervene Project and how listeners can get involved. So be sure to stick around until the end of the episode. So without further ado, let's welcome Evie onto the show. Welcome, Evie. Thank you for joining us today. Good morning. Delighted to be here. Thank you. Thank you. And please, could you start off by telling us how and why the Intervene Project was set up and why you became involved with it? So Intervene Project was set up in response to the Legal Aid Sentencing and Punishment of Offenders Act 2012, which is known as LASPO. And essentially, this act cut many, many areas of legal aid for different um, individuals in society. And prisoners were perhaps the most detrimentally impacted by this act, or at least amongst those who were. And whilst the relentless cuts in legal aid over the past decade has been widely reported, their impact on prisoners is perhaps the most overlooked. So Intervene Project strives to plug the legal aid gap created by this act and then the relentless wave of cuts that followed it. And it essentially covers areas of law that prisoners want to bring claims in that they no longer access legal aid for. And we plug this gap by providing free representation to them if they qualify for our service. Brilliant. That's it's such an important project. And, and what do you think the main issues are with the current system in prisons and prisoners' access to justice? 
there are perhaps too many issues to count, but of course, cuts in legal aid is the main one. Um, but of course, uh, abuse in the prison system is widely known. Um, prisoners do face considerable access to um, restrictions on their access to justice that you perhaps wouldn't think about. So people in everyday society are entitled to what's called legal privilege with their legal representative. And whilst prisoners should get this, it's of course a lot harder for them to get it if they're in prison because all of their mail is regulated by the prisons. So we have what's called Rule 39 correspondence, which is marked on prisoners' correspondence, and that means that officers shouldn't be opening the mail, but of course many of them do. And whilst this may be a mistake, a lot of times they do it perhaps maliciously or they do it to see if prisoners are reporting about them. Um, so there are all kinds of abuses in terms of breaching prisoner confidentiality. And then prisoners inside prison, if they're found guilty of offences or prison officers want to try and find them guilty of offences within the prison, they have what's called an adjudication hearing. And this is essentially like a mini trial um, where they should be entitled to their own defence. Many who suffer from sort of um, mental health conditions or need support, extra support should be getting legal representatives in these hearings and they used to. However, now they only get legal aid and qualify for legal aid and legal representation in a small number. So that is one of the areas that we provide representation for. But in these sorts of hearings, there'll be many barriers to them getting justice and putting forward an accurate defence, such as they won't be told when the hearing is going to take place. They'll maybe have the hearing shortly after they've um, suffered some, some abuse in the prison that's made them distressed or, or made them perhaps behave in a way that's uncharacteristic of them. And that will um, be in their detriment, served to their detriment. Um, they also, if prisoners want to access evidence that may help their cases or help their appeals, such as CCTV within the prison that may record abuse from prison officers, they try and access it by putting what's called a subject access request, but for um, CCTV. So it'd be slightly different to requesting information. And when they ask for it, they're told they can have it within 30 days as per the rules of data disclosure. But of course, if the prisons delay that to the point where CCTV is wiped because it is wiped every 30 days, they then won't be able to have access to the CCTV. And it's the same with things like medical records. So sometimes it takes us up to six months to request prisoners' medical records just because the prisons uh, delay responding to our requests or they ignore our request. And this can have very severe impacts on prisoners' health and mental health. Um, further, the everyday person would be able to go to their library and perhaps access legal resources or use the internet. Many prisoners don't have this privilege. So if they're thinking about representing themselves, it's very hard for them to do so because they won't have basic access to things like the white book or the equivalent of which would tell them how they can actually file a claim without it getting struck out for very minor procedural errors. Um, an additional problem that prisoners will face, even if we're representing representing them, is that prisoners prison officers won't take um, their correspondence seriously. So another problem that they will face is that prison officers and potential defendants won't reply to letter before actions, letter before claim, or important formal correspondence that's intended to resolve disputes before going to litigation, which is a very, it's something that's widely encouraged now within the justice system to sort of save court time, save costs. And if they don't comply and don't reply to these things, it can mean that prisoners are forced to issue claims 
so that their claim doesn't fall outside a limitation period. And then once they do get a reply from the prison, they realise perhaps their claim doesn't meet the threshold and then they risk having cost orders made against them. There's also a growing trend now that we're starting to see where potential defendants, when trying to seek costs against prisoners, many of whom will earn very minimal amounts every week from employment within prison, um, some are even on pennies a week, pence a week, rather than pounds, um, they'll be getting cost orders in excess of £10,000, and these figures will just be um, sort of found to be from, well, they'll be, these figures will be based on no factual basis whatsoever, no formal schedules of costs. The potential defendant will just try and come up with these figures. So it means if the prisoner wants to issue a claim in the future, they'll have to think twice about doing so because if there's an order for costs against them, it will come out of their damages in the next claim. So that's obviously encouraging prisoners not to even issue claims in the first place, even though they may have the right to do so. Within the prison system, prisoners have access to what's called the complaints process, which is if they suffer an abuse in prison or their rights have been breached, they put in a complaint which goes straight to a prison officer and then the prison officer will reply to it. If the prisoner does not like the response they get or they don't agree with the response or they don't think it resolves their issue, they'll put in appeal against that complaint. And if then they still are not satisfied with the response, they can then go to the ombudsman. However, this process is made to be deliberately complicated at times. So prisoners have to comply with all sorts of small regulatory uh, points and procedures in order for their complaints to be responded to. And perhaps by then the subject of their complaint will have passed. They'll have missed a deadline for something important. They'll have missed a healthcare appointment that they desperately needed. Their healthcare may be delayed. And therefore, actually seeking justice within the prison itself is delayed for them in that regard as well. So even procedures that are put in place to try and stop abuse in prison are not effective. And of course, many times if a prisoner is complaining about particular prison officers abuse, it will be that prison officer that replies to the complaint and will often do so in a very unsavoury fashion. Uh, quite an abusive fashion we've received um, when we take on prisoners' cases. They send us all their complaints and we can see ourselves the sort of responses they're getting. Um, and ideally, these are the sort of uh, procedures in prison where you'd expect someone trained in sort of dispute resolution and mediation would be replying. But that is simply not the case. And it often just escalates situations um, and it really doesn't help. Of course, then on top of all of these issues with actual legal representation within prison, you have all of the everyday issues in prison as well, such as overpopulation. That's no secret. 79,000 prisoners in the prison population currently. Maximum capacity is perhaps a couple thousand more. So really with COVID as well, with prisoners having to be in their cells 23 hours a day, even if they're not in category A and category B prisons, which are the high security uh, really that's going to create a lot of space for abuse to happen anyway. There's excuses for COVID in everything that's done within prisons now, whether it's disclosure of evidence, disclosure of medical records, getting healthcare appointments, getting dental appointments, even getting emergency treatment. Every single time we try and request this from prisoners, probably about five in 10 will simply get the excuse that due to COVID, the resources are stretched, which 
you know, there are pr- plenty of things that prisons could be doing to sort of remedy against this. I think one of our clients has now been waiting over a year for emergency dental treatment when all that simply could be done is sending him to an external dental suite rather they're using the excuse that due to COVID, they can't get a dentist doing a particular procedure that he needs within his prison and therefore he can't have the treatment and he's been left in pain for over a year. And we all know dental pain is perhaps amongst the worst. Everyone hates going to the dentist and therefore it it simply borders on Article 3 abuse and that's what we'll be arguing for our client. But simply things like that on top of, you know, not having access to justice. These are all the things that added together prisoners' access to justice is perhaps, you know, amongst the worst um, in the UK. That's just awful. I had no idea about the injustice that prison prisoners face. Um, and it's, it's just amazing that the Intervene Project is there for the prisoners and, you know, aiming to do something about it because it obviously really needs to be done. Before we get into the second half of the episode, I'd like to take this opportunity to talk about the sponsors of today's show and the law school that I chose to study my LPC at, and that's the University of Law. The University of Law believes in training students for the real world from the moment they accept a place. Their experienced career service and award-winning pro bono clinics offer students the chance to get real-life experience from the start. They offer a range of postgraduate legal training and master's degrees designed by qualified experts to help students advance at any stage of their career. Their courses are employment-focused, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. Part-time and online study options are also available on many of their courses to help students work and study at the same time. To find out more about the courses on offer, click the link in the description box of the podcast. Yeah, so I wonder what sorts of clients and cases that you're able to take on at the Intervene Project? Absolutely. So we do strive and take on every client that we can. So they need to be residing in an establishment in England and Wales or have been residing in an establishment in England and Wales. Their cases are usually ones where they would have qualified for legal aid in the past, but they no longer do so. Um, And then alongside that, things that we can do on their behalf that may expedite processes within the prison, such as getting improved access to healthcare treatment. Um, So we take a vast on a vast array of matters. Um, This may include discrimination cases, uh, physical, verbal and sexual abuse, which is very common in prison. Um, personal injury and clinical negligence we take on to a certain level of course when they can qualify for legal aid that does fall outside our ambit but you would be shocked um, at the things that aren't covered by legal aid that some of prisoners have to endure in terms of their uh, injuries and clinical negligence. Appeals of adjudications which are of course the internal hearings within prisons for conduct in prison that is seen to breach rules and procedure. Uh, prison transfers we assist with which can uh, drastically improve a prisoner's quality of life perhaps if there are certain people in their current establishment that are abusing them or they need to be closer to home or they need to be in a different category we do assist with that as well Uh, we assist with any unlawful obstructions to their communication be it from relatives be it from legal representatives Uh, We, of course, assist with, as I said before, the Rule 39 breaches where prison officers are opening their confidential legal mail. We assist with that as well. 
Uh, we assist with obtaining better healthcare, better mental healthcare, better employment opportunities, better education, um, better access to rehabilitative resources we assist with. So yeah, we do really take on a broad range and we won't necessarily only take on cases that reach the threshold for us to take them to county court. Um, we'll take on most matters to start with and then just assist prisoners with all the pre-action correspondence and then if their case does meet the threshold where we should issue a court claim we'll assist the prisoner with that as well. In terms of sort of good outcomes we have managed to obtain for clients we've sort of done all the above in terms of improving their access to healthcare, mental health care, employment, education, rehabilitative resources. We've improved their sort of relations with those in the prison establishment, be it officers and governors, and sort of facilitated open communication and mediation between the two. We've secured compensation in some cases has exceeded £20,000, which is obviously a huge sum for those many of those that are in prison and for a very long time. We've of course um, secured good prison transfers. We've overturned adjudications on appeal. So we've done a very broad um, spectrum of uh, we've secured a broad spectrum of positive outcomes for our clients. That's really wonderful. Um, everything that you've managed to achieve, um, and and I just wondered if you could maybe provide a bit of detail or some examples of the abuses that your clients have faced. I know you sort of touched on this a little bit earlier in one of the previous questions, but um, yeah, maybe if you could just explain Absolutely, that. yeah. So our clients call us every day. Um, that, that's usually the best method of contact is by them calling us when they have access to a phone and we hear daily of the abuses they're facing. Um, one of my recent clients, or one of our recent clients was fed two meals in one day, both of which uh, contained maggots. And this caused him severe food poisoning. And he actually had symptoms for several months after because he already had uh, very, um, he already had sort of health issues anyway. Um, and when he complained of this, he was simply told that some things get through the net. That was in the complaint he submitted. That's a response he got back from the prison officer. Uh, we've had clients that were a married couple and they resided in the same establishment and they had for over a decade, both of which suffered from quite severe mental health issues. And then one day, without warning, without explanation, their establishment decided, no, they had to reside in separate establishments and all contact was blocked. And they still haven't contacted each other and it's been almost a year later now. Um, so we're desperately trying to sort of at least come to an agreement with their establishments that they can either have telephone contact or correspond in writing with each other. It's just some degree of contact that will hopefully improve their mental health and allow them to, you know, continue building on their relationship. We've had a prisoner who was subjected to racist abuse by being pushed to the ground and forced to take the knee by white officers. Um, we've had one of our older clients who suffered two winters now without heating. Uh, we've had a client who was negligently burned by a prison officer who decided that the best way to administer boiling water to this poor client was through rolling up a laminated sheet of plastic and pouring the boiling water through that through his cell hatch, which of course, you know, went over him and caused him severe burns. That's 
just so sad and I, I just can't believe that there are injustices like that actually happening and it seems like it's not really a priority to fix fix it um so it yeah such a shock and well hopefully um the work that the intervening project is doing and you know trying to shine a light on it will will go some way towards um improving the situation um so I wondered if you have you seen an increase in the numbers of cases referred to the Intervene project, and if so, why do you think why do you think that that is? Absolutely. So over the past six months, our caseload has doubled. Intervene now has over two hundred clients. We have almost a hundred more clients that are awaiting referral to our service. Um, before. Uh, primarily, our clients would be referred to as directly from Kayser and Co, who we share premises with. Um, and that will be when clients firstly approach Kayser and Co. They can't get legal aid for their masses and therefore their pastors to see if we can help them. However, now word of our service is spread amongst the prison populations and many clients are contacting us directly or we'll hear from some of our clients, oh, my friend in prison, something's happened to him, do you think you could help him? So things like that are happening now. And of course, we are trying to take on as many clients as we can, but we're a modestized charity, one full-time member of staff, that does become a point where we've reached full capacity. We've additionally had requests recently as well from external organisations who want to collaborate with us and refer their clients to us if they don't qualify for legal aid. So the the potential is there for thousands of clients to need our service. We can't currently offer that at our present size, but of course someone needs to. And this is the big issue with cuts in legal aid is that this huge... uh, this large proportion of the population who desperately need legal aid, who have no other protection and whose only recourse is through the courts, don't have access to justice. And even organisations like us, we simply don't have the capacity to help everyone as much as we'd like to. Um, And as the prison population grows, which um, the government seems adamant um, in allowing to happen, as COVID continues, abuse in prison will continue to exponentially increase need for access to justice in prison will also exponentially increase and they won't have anywhere to turn to so something needs to be done um the charity of course we we want to expand we need the resources too but we do want to expand but yes the client volume is growing every day and it will continue to grow every day year upon year right and and is Intervene helping immigration detainees? Is that something they're able to do? So immigration detainees do face a very similar problem in terms of access to justice as prisoners. Their access to legal aid has been cut in a very similar way. The problem with immigration casework is that those who practice in immigration law need to undertake various courses in order to be accredited to undertake the work. Now, these courses are expensive. They require lots of training. Uh, Caseworkers that wish to practice immigration law find it a challenge to pass these courses whilst also undertaking their own casework at the same time. And for our volunteers, who are usually only in once a week, it would be too much to expect for them to 
sort of pay for the courses themselves as we don't have the funds to pay for it for them and then study for these courses whilst only working one day per week for the charity um it's something that we would really like to cover but it's just not feasible at the moment we do hope at some point in the future you know maybe we'll get some support and be able to facilitate having caseworkers that practice in this area but at the moment it's simply not possible well hopefully um intervene will grow and be able to help more people um so if any of our listeners are interested in getting involved with the intervene project how can they get involved and what sort of things would volunteers be able to help with So we have plenty of opportunities for people to get involved in the Intervene Project. If you're a law student, you can volunteer with us. So you could either be a caseworker or a researcher. Our caseworkers, we recruit on a rolling basis. We have 10 at any one period of time. So two people coming in each day of the week. And it's not a remote opportunity. You'll be working from Kayser and Co's premises. So in that regard, you'll have access to Kayser and Co's solicitors. They'll be able to guide you. Uh, if you are interested in working in legal aid areas, it's an invaluable opportunity to see the everyday workings of a legal aid solicitors firm. Um, as a caseworker, you'll be able to assist with all stages of a client's case. Uh, you'll be able to draft letters before action. You'll actually interact with our clients over the phone. So in that way, it's unique. Um, you won't just be making cups of coffee and observing the goings on. You'll be there in the heart of the work, doing the work and building relationships with our clients. That's primarily why I got involved with Interview Project in the first place. As one of my friends had worked for the project and she recommended it Um is a very ideal opportunity before pupillage because you do actually get to draft letters before action, you get to help issue claims, you get to interact with clients firsthand and therefore it's advanced legal experience rather than just simply observing um, the day-to-day workings of a firm. Alternatively, if that doesn't work for you and you can't work within the office for various reasons or you want a remote opportunity or one weekday per week commitment is too much for you, we have research opportunities. Uh, Researchers typically give about three hours per week and you'll be in teams and you'll be looking at ways that uh, the legal aid budget can be better spent. You'll be identifying where wasted costs Um, You'll be identifying areas of wasted expenditure within the legal aid uh, justice systems. You'll be drafting a report at the end of your research where you'll set out ideas for improvements in the legal aid budget. And we hope that that will get publicised in the foreseeable future. You can find out all the details of how to apply for both of these positions on our website, www.interveneproject.org.uk. Thank you, Evie. That sounds like a really good experience for students um, to get involved with, really good legal work experience, plus also giving back to um, a really important uh, project. So, yeah, that sounds great. And I'll leave all the details in the description box of the podcast. So if listeners want to get involved, then they can easily just go down there and and give it a click. Um, So does the Intervene Project have social media accounts that our listeners can follow if they want to keep up to date with what you're doing? Absolutely. Um, Be sure to follow us on Twitter. So that's Intervene Pro. 
you can also find our page on LinkedIn and that will be very good for looking out for when we're recruiting, updates in our cases. Uh, of course, our website as well is a very good resource for you if you want to see what we're getting up to. Thank you. I'll, I'll leave the details to those in the description as well. Um, so a member of parliament, Alex Chalk, stated recently that um, I and the Attorney General will continue offering support for pro bono, driving forward the great work that's already happening. Um, have you ever received any support from the government? Absolutely not. Um we're not surprised by this. The, the government do seem to grossly underestimate the need for pro bono work. I mean, they estimate they you know they set a target for 35 hours per per year for large city firms to offer in pro bono work. We offer 4,000 hours of pro bono work per year. We're a modestized charity. We have only one member of staff, and this comes nowhere close to meeting demand. Um, if the government are ignorant of the problem, they, of course, um, are not going to be very facilitative, facilitative in bringing about the solution. So um, I'm not surprised, but no, we have not received any help from the government. Right. That, yeah, that's really illuminating. And, and has Intervene received any major donations over the past eight, um, eight or nine years? And if so, who are the Intervene supporters? So we did receive donations from Edge Fund um, and also St. John's Church in Peckham. And we've had donations from different organisations and individuals we've collaborated with. However, funders for prisoners are very difficult to find. Uh, people would rather donate charities that have different causes. Kayser and Co are a primary supporter and donor. And yes, as hard as we tried, funding um, a charity that supports prisoners is exceptionally difficult and we are grossly underfunded and we're, we're trying to raise funds every way we can. But it does seem to be a consistent problem is that people don't want to part with their cash if it's helping prisoners. And, and I mean, I, I don't know if this is something that you've already sort of touched on, but why do you think it is so difficult to get funding for a prison charity? I think people are very prejudiced towards prisoners. Um, they're not presented well in the media. The government are very focused on cutting down crime, increasing policing, uh, underfunding prisons, overpopulating prisons, uh, portraying the worst image of prisoners in uh, they possibly can in the media. Um, I think people have been uh, conditioned to think the worst of prisoners and often forget that they too are entitled to human rights. Um, I think it's very easy to overlook the fact that prison is perhaps the most facilitative place for abuse simply because many prisoners don't have anyone looking out for them, they don't have anyone caring about them and they have perhaps the worst access to justice in our society. Um, in terms of why it's difficult to get funding is primarily because of people's prejudice towards prisoners. Uh, we do, of course, have um, many supporters, but we have many more people who oppose our cause and who wouldn't um, wouldn't want to support our charity. Yeah, I, I, I can see how it, you know, might get sort of less funding than, than other areas, um, which I think is 
a shame and I think it's you know maybe people just don't realize what what it's like in terms of maybe they haven't really taken the time out to find out what it's actually like in in prison and um that might be the case for uh, the general public, but I think that the government should take an active role in 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 improving the situation. So, I think that's a very good point. People haven't actually sat down and thought about what life would be like in prison in reality. The media perhaps portrays a much nicer view of prison than people actually realise. I mean, could you imagine being sat in a box? all day, every day, alone with your thoughts, without any healthcare support or adequate healthcare support, any adequate mental health support. Perhaps your entire family has abandoned you. All of your friends have abandoned you. You're perhaps in a prison thousands or hundreds. You're perhaps in a prison hundreds of miles away from your hometown and everything you've known. Uh, You have no access to good education, no access to books, limited access to sort of the internet, limited access to everyday items we all take for granted, uh, limited access to your hobbies, you're left without very much at all. And if you value your freedom, prison is the worst place for you to go. Um, And I think it's very important people realise whatever the media paints prison out to be, it's the worst place to be. Um, And therefore, having your human rights respected on a basic level is the least you should be entitled to. Um, and that's what Intervene Project is really all about, is ensuring that those left without anyone and anything in prison at least have their human rights respected. I think that's such a powerful statement. And I I think what you're doing is great. And, and you know, thank you so much for coming on here and just educating our, me and the listeners about what, what is happening because I, I genuinely didn't, didn't know it was like that um and I hope that but you know we can maybe shine a light on it as well um to our listeners and maybe get more people involved and hopefully um hopefully some funding as well um to improve the situation but yeah thank you Evie for coming on the show it's it's been a pleasure to have you on um yeah it's been great Yes, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to all the listeners for tuning in as well. Um, As I said earlier in the episode, I will leave the links to um, things that we've discussed in the description box of the podcast. And we will see you in the next episode. Goodbye. Bye. This episode is sponsored by the University of Law. What really sets the University of Law apart from other universities is its belief that its students should learn in a realistic, professional and contemporary context. They focus exclusively on practice-based training and give students access to their extensive career service and jobs vacancy database as soon as they accept a place. Through the University of Law's pro bono program, law students can hone their skills by working on real cases before they graduate. The University of Law offers a range of postgraduate legal training and master's degrees designed by qualified experts to help students advance at any stage of their career. Their courses are employment focused, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. Part-time and online study options are also available on many of their courses to help students work and study at the same time. 
the University of Law will help you reach your ambitions by delivering an outstanding academic and employment-focused experience, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. As soon as you begin your studies with ULaw, you'll learn how to think and act like a lawyer. Whether your aspirations are in law or other fields, their courses will balance academic rigour and practical skills so your career starts from day one. To find out more about the courses they have on offer, just click the link in the description box of the podcast. To hear more of the Student Lawyers podcast, hit the subscribe button and leave us a star rating and review. If you would like to join the Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com.